I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners, for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases. Or you can go and sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom. Hello and welcome to the very first podcast from Lama Suryadas. I'm Raghu Marcus from the MindPod Network and Mind Rolling and Ramdas here and now. And I'm sort of just acting as a little bit of a facilitator to just introduce uh, Lama to uh, MindPod Network. Uh, Lama is going to uh, have a ongoing series of podcasts that are going to be some based on talks that he's given and some based on just uh, extemporous conversations like this one that we're going to have with Noah Lampert, also from MindPod. And, and Noah's kind of the representative of the millennial generation, although he says he's too old. He's like 24 now. No, what, I, 30? Okay. I'm 31. I, I, oh my God. I have a theory that if you know what the sound of a dial tone is, then you're not technically a millennial. That's my that's my barometer. I, I don't see. know if that's accurate, but that's how I'm I'm going with that. Right, I can't now. remember what a dial tone is. So does that mean I'm a millennial? <laughs> yeah, no, you're a millennial. <laughs> You've done it. Right at the other end. A millennial <laughs> at heart. Um and so Lama Surya Das Lama Surya Das has been uh 
We've been family for a very, very long time. Now, some of you are going to be quite familiar with, with Lama, and some of you will be familiar through, because we've had him on our Mind Rolling podcast. We've done a, great, a, a couple of great ones. And, uh, but we, we met uh, in India uh, with Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, and uh, w- once he left that body, and we, Surya and I were just talking about how we were there just after, again, just after Maharaji left, and, and a bunch of pictures I had found, historical, incredible pictures of us back then, uh, really brought this to mind. And, uh, but once uh, we left India at that time, I left India, uh, Lama Surya Das uh, pursued uh, the uh, Tibetan Buddhist path and, uh, and was with some of the greatest uh, lamas of the last uh, century by far, and several of them I have met myself, but he has actually done tremendous practice over many, many years um, uh, meditation and, and otherwise, and uh, is a, uh, this is just from me to you, uh, we need more people like you interpreting what this tradition can bring, especially to the West, in a way that we can uh, grok it, as they said back in the day. So uh, this is, uh, I'm really happy to, to welcome you to the uh, Podcast network, Mind Pod, uh, Mind Pod Network, and uh, and to really uh, be able to chat with you more. Like this is the way that we can get together. You know, is by doing stuff like this, right? Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you, Raghu Raghavindra Das, and it's wonderful to get together in the spirit like this and the presence of our guru and our beloved community mates, satsang and sangha mates and so on. It's beautiful. And I love this podcast and mind rolling satsang. It's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Mm, love mm, it. Thank Thanks you. for doing it. Thank you. So I, I'm going to turn this over to you, Guy, and, uh, and I'm going to just be happy to be a fly on the wall here for a bit. Who's the guy? Me? You're the guy. Oh, there's okay. the big guy. You're the guy, Noah. Okay. I, uh, well, I have put together quite a few questions and kind of interest things that I have for you, um, Lama Surya Das. So I will go over these in order. And I've been asked specifically to relate them to things that are going on, you know, in my life. And that could be related to other people my age or just things we're going through. Um, so one of the things I wanted to start with, because, um, you know, I've been aware of you and kind of the lineages and traditions you've studied with. Um, and I recently have very much been into um, dreams and specifically Carl Jung, a lot of archetypal stuff, collective unconscious. Um, and I bring this up specifically because I've been trying to use dreams as a tool to gain insight into waking life and kind of other things that are going on that we may not, I'm not aware of consciously, kind of in the uh, below the threshold of awareness. And I'm wondering um, how this fits into kind of the dream yoga of Naropa and just any insights that can be, if, if that's even practical for Westerners at all, because I know some of it's very esoteric, but how that maybe even fits in with kind of some of the Jungian stuff and 
uh, if there's a correlation and just kind of your perspective on that. Um, cause yeah. Sure. No, that's very interesting that you would bring that up. Um, Tibetan diamond path yoga or Vajra yoga or energy yoga <clears throat> has six main parts. And one of them is called dream yoga, as you referred to it. And, yeah. you know, yoga means union, not just calisthenics with the body. So there's different kinds of outer and inner yoga. And one of them is the dream yoga, which includes lucid dreaming recently discovered by modern psychology in the last hundred years by 1500 year old tried and true Vajrayana Tibetan, you know, diamond path practice for enlightenment. And interestingly enough for do accomplishing some of the things that you're trying to accomplish. Um, Carl Jung, since you mentioned him is obviously one of the pioneers, not just of psychology, which we are all most familiar with Western psychology, but of Eastern thought coming to the West. He was one of the first bridge builders. Yeah. He's one of the main pillars or, you know, he's one of the main uh, bricks or keystones in the arch of the bridge connecting East and West. And I'm not going to, you know, bore you with academic details about the introductions he wrote to Richard Wilhelm's I Ching translation, the first in the West and the secret of the golden flower. Yeah. Chinese classic and many other things and his great, you know, works on mandalas and archetypes and yeah. so on and, and other statements he made. But there's a lot there, obviously. So there's a big overlap for a couple of reasons. One is Jung and psychology like Tibetan Buddhism, like Buddhism, like spirituality is dealing with reality. I'll put that in quotes, but trying to understand reality, who we are and what's our place in reality, what is real and unreal, and so on, and what's real and what's a dream and what's in between, and this figures into it. So, of course, they're both working in the same direction, let's say, parallel and overlapping. Sure. And Jung, of course, was influenced by the East. He was well, well educated. Also, lesser known, but I'm glad to say it on this podcast, uh, it's like a scoop I'm going to break the news. Uh, Raghu will appreciate this, being an old journalist. I emphasize the word old. Uh, <laughs> scoop everyone. Of course, this is not unknown. You can read the secret red book of Jung that just came out a few years ago that was kept yeah. secret for 50 or 60 years by his family because it depicts his psychedelic drawings, yeah. the mandalas he experienced on his one or two year um, acid trips. Yeah, read about basically. this in Jung's own journal. I'm not making this up. And there are mid-museum exhibits about it in recent years and so on. So there's a lot of the same material coming out of the subconscious, the unconscious, the cosmic unconscious, the Alaya Vijnana, and other things that Jung talked about. Of course, Alaya Vijnana he learned about from Eastern thought, the Upanishads and the Vedas of India. So looking into all of this, including the psychedelic experience and other things, doorways to Dharma that we ourselves participated in, perhaps, you know, in the 60s, 70s, I don't know, 80s, 90s, yesterday. 90s, 2000s, this yeah. This sure. morning, you know, now. <laughs> opening the doors of perception, as Aldous Huxley called it, etc. Maybe it was William Blake, who knows. There's a lineage here. So, of course, a lot of similarities, but also some differences. 
in that the, the six yogas, the Tibetan dream yoga, which by the way, I have a CD out from Sounds True and you can learn all about this. It's practical. You can get it from Sounds True publishers called Tibetan dream yoga. It was very popular in the nineties with some visuals. It's an enhanced CD. It might be a DVD now. Um, discussing this about lucid dreaming and more, how to be master rather than victim in the dream. Mm. Wake up within the dream while sleeping. Stay asleep. Know you're sleeping. Wake, it's called lucid dreaming to us. Waking up within the dream. And then intentionally practicing various things to assert mastery over the reality. The reality is more plastic in the dream. We're, quote, out of our bodies a little. So there's less of the corporeal weight and more free to imagine things like flying and so on which many of us experienced, you know, maybe non-intentionally in dreams. So intentionally manipulating reality. So we're like the magician or the wisdom, wizard of illusion. So that we're master rather than victim of circumstances, conditions, and states of consciousness. And then this carries over naturally into other, quote, dreams, like the daydream, the bardo between death and rebirth, meditation, trance, hypnosis, coma, um, non-conceptual awareness states of consciousness. So we're not victimized. We're like at cause, we're master, we're, we're, right. we're aware, not just reactive and so on. So there are great benefits in this kind of dream yoga practice and lucid dreaming, which modern thinkers like Stephen LeBurge has done a lot of research on this, who wrote the book Lucid Dreaming, you know, are starting to use this also to help people get free of the trances that they live and feel trapped in. Yeah. You know, bad habits and addictions, illusion and delusion, and even deeper, you know, the trance of separateness, the trance of insufficiency, the trance of um, hopelessness and, and so on, so that we can awaken. So Jung, of course, did a lot of this in the psychological field, and, and, and this is not really far into our Western thinking. It's not that esoteric, is what I'd yeah. like to say, which <laughs> is the point I make in this two-hour CD called Tibetan Dream Yoga from Sounds True. Is there yeah. actually methodology you give in yes, terms of practices? Yes, there are practices, practices, like how to practice when you go to sleep at night, lie down on your right side or left side for male or female, and look... Imagine or visualize like a full moon or a light at your forehead and go into the light rather than diving into sleep, into the darkness. So you kind of, quote, meditate or you're like try to be clear and awake through the st four stages of sleeping and dreaming. Mm. You go into the deeper sleep, but then you you know come up to the four stages and all in particular eye movements, being aware of those things. So, in fact, you could say it's a good way to practice mindfulness or awareness or loving awareness in the night as well as during the day, right, right. which just uh, expands your portfolio of time and energy throughout the day to practice and to get enlightened. Get yeah. enlightened. I just told some people recently when they said they had me on, a, on, a, on their podcast, you know, young guys, and they were talking about getting enlightened. And I said, at eventually, I said to them, getting enlightened. I don't think we can talk about getting enlightened right here and now. I mean, we let's talk about just being, you know, better people. And, you know, you know what they said? 
oh, that's not what we meant when I talked about what real enlightenment <laughs> is. No, we meant getting through one week without fucking up. <laughs> I said, yeah. okay, that's enlightenment. You got I'll it. Trade, I'll, I'll trade most of my enlightenment for that, but not all. <laughs> yeah. I'm still going to vote for enlightenment, not just getting by without fucking up. But yeah. I see the point. Yeah. Yes, in between, it's all about working on ourselves together for a be, be better people and contribute to a better world, of course. But that's the gradual, rational, linear path. That's like the left brain engineering approach. That's a self-improvement project. That's morality. That's good. That's great. That's important. That's progressive, incremental progress on the path. But spiritual real, realization is also includes a quantum leap that's not so incremental. That's an exponential leap into another dimension, which is right here and now. Right. But it's a much it's it's a quantum leap. So I have a kind of to to further this a little bit. One of the things she's post Jungian. She was one of his students and worked with him, Marie Louise von Franz. She she wrote a book that I'm reading right now that was recommended to me, which is excellent, called Psyche and Matter, and it basically kind of explains or begins to touch on. Um, a undefined or an ill-defined relationship between internal events and external events. And what I've been noticing as I've been kind of going through this alchemical process of trying to go to inner is if you really start going inside and trying to track back the source, it promotes external changes in reality that are noticeable. Jung talks about it sometimes as synchronicities and them increasing or, you know, magical type events. Um, yes, and she also yes. has a very interesting way of, of, of relating this also to numerology and numbers and kind of these symbolic structures that underlie kind of conscious thought and stuff. So that's something I, I've been experiencing, which is why it's very interesting, you know, Raghu, you point out that we're not trying to get enlightened. That's not a realistic goal, but it is kind of this non-dual conception of, of getting enlightened, which is kind of outside of our reality, our waking life, and then the dualistic universe that we all know we live in, which is, yes. you know, yeah. So any, yeah. Well, I'd like to hear more from you because you're, you're a, a very good smarty pants. Um, <laughs> I mean that with respect, you know, I just, you're young, so it's my job to like beat you into shape. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you can take it later when you go out into the real world and you need yeah. it. Um, like a sword needs to be beaten. But Marie-Louise France was a genius. And what she said was very, very interesting and important. And of course, she developed Jung's thought. And, you know, it's not that difference, different from what our old buddy Ramdas, who was no slouch of a psychologist himself, right. then and now, said last week in the discussion we had, which was on a webcast, that it's not just that we're bodies or humans with this having a spirit you know that we're really or a soul we're really souls having a body or, or in, in a body so there really is no different i don't want to say there's no difference there's no separation between outer and inner self and other and human and divine um it, it's a spectrum it's a spectrum and really inseparable or interwoven, interbeing, I believe, and I, I feel strongly, um, I, I feel. And um, the sacred space in us is really bigger than the space outside. So the deeper we go in, the more we get into the infinite. 
Mm. The more we're looking at outer things, the it, it kind of counterintuitively, we're kind of uh, diminishing our vision. Mm. 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 Good. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So maybe. So of course, the more we develop innerly, it affects our outer. Because right. First, there's no this so interrelated. Second, um, mind and body, you know, uh, body and speech and energy and, and, and mind and consciousness are so interrelated. And uh, you know, just like we're learning today a lot more about how so many of the causes of health are, quote, mental or a stress or belief-based and so on. So mind-body medicine and wellness is becoming very, very important. Of course, this is part of the holistic traditions of the world and the, the, the Vedic medicine and Oriental medicine, you know, including acupuncture and energy medicine and so on for, for, for millennia. So and, and shamans and such people know about this. So we're all, you know, evolving and working together. It's a very good time for cross fertilization yeah. and uh, learning and sharing um, from each other and going forward. I, I think that, well, but as my job is kind of to demystify things, I want to say, just give an example of how if you change innerly, it will really change your, your whole world. And, and I'll just put it this way kind of personally. When I am clearer, everything becomes clearer. That's English. Anybody could understand that. I'm talking yeah. personally. When I'm clearer, everything becomes clearer. That's how the world is, is different. So we don't necessarily need different eyes, but a different way of seeing, not just different things to see. So that's the kind of the theory or the, the basis. Mm. That's the raison d'etre for meditation, spiritual practice, working on ourselves, conscious evolution, and the quest for spiritual realization, God realization, divine vision, enlightenment, whatever we call it. So I have a question for you that it, it's, I'm going to lean on your perspective of all you've gone through in your life because, you know, I've, I've been on this planet in this life for 31 years and I've noticed kind of trends or shifts towards more consciousness coming into the world in a positive way. But my frame of reference is, is relatively limited. You know, I don't know that this is maybe just a part of growing up and not part and parcel of the times we're in. So I'm interested, you know, and I've spoken to Raghu and David about this a lot because they grew up in very interesting times as well. At this particular, we're in the dualistic universe, at this particular point in time, do you have any observations about kind of where we are or what is on the horizon or sense of what is kind of where we're at right now? I know that's kind of a vague question, but I think. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. Yes, I have some, um, what was your word? observations or intuitions. Yeah. I don't know what they yeah. were, but of course, like everybody else, I'm an opinion machine. <laughs> um, first of all, I don't think we, this is a dualistic universe. I think, you know, in a certain way of talking, it's worth, it's worth noting that, you know, we're using dualistic concepts. Right. It doesn't mean the territory is the same as the map. Yeah, like, great point. Dualistic con consciousness it is not doesn't mean it's a dualistic universe. Mm, mm, good point. So that's one observation. Um, another one is that there really is no such thing as dualism. So I often, I don't know, how should I put this? I often hear myself saying, don't be dualistic about non-duality. <laughs> like, don't make it into a thing that this is not. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Totally, like, yeah. I don't want to meditate. I'm doing, I'm into non-dual awareness. Well, everything is included in that. What do you mean? Are you, that's like saying, I don't want to brush my teeth. It's a, it, it's a, it's a fabricated. <laughs> I want natural health. That's like the Christian scientists. They won't take their kids to the doctor <laughs> right. when they're dying from pneumonia and penicillin could fix it. Right. Now that takes a lot of faith to surrender to that extent. And I'm all for faith and surrender. But that's not practical, the scenario I just described. That's an exact, that's, that's too uh, extreme for, for my taste. So let's not be dualistic about duality. What concepts, or anti-intellectual for, for that matter, yeah. who we get pleasure out of this and it's useful to our path. You know, the, the mind, the intellect's a good servant, but a poor master. Mm. I'm too often under its power. Hey, you just tripped me into something I read this morning. So, you know, I got to read this. Okay. Go ahead. There is a saying, and I'll, I'll uh, tell you what this is from. You might even recognize it. Faith is the precious wheel that rolls day and night along the path of liberation. Faith is the foremost of the seven noble qualities. The sun's rays fall everywhere uniformly, but only where they are focused through a magnifying glass can they set dry grass on fire. In the same way, Buddha's compassion radiates to all beings equally, but only in those who have the magnifying glass of faith will the flame of his blessings be kindled. Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. Who? Well, I'm, all, I'm all for, I'm all for Kensi Rinpoche. I'm all for Kensi Rinpoche. <laughs> right. And 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 you know before we. But uh, more importantly, is not who said it, but you know, is it true, and what does it mean and do for us, and that's what we try to examine. So uh, you know, the, I've thought a lot about this uh, in. in of course, in our years in the East Rogue, there was a big emphasis on faith and devotion and ritual and other traditional values. And these days in our secular postmodern era and in the West with our neurodharma and brain science and other things, mindfulness without Buddhism and mm. yoga without Hinduism or even spirituality in some cases, um, it's challenging to talk about faith and devotion and prayer and these things, but it's still, we can, we don't have to be, you know, there's different kinds of faith, not just blind faith. There's also, in Tibetan Buddhism, we say there's three kinds. There's blind faith, which we don't advocate or endorse, really, you know, it's fine as far as it goes. Like children have faith in Santa because the parents told us, so that's fine for time as far as it goes. But then there's like a longing faith where there's actually some interest to find out if it's true and and move past blind faith to something we don't yet know about, but there's some attraction. Not to Santa, but to truth. Let's find out if Santa's true. Whether Santa's true or not, let's find out what is true. And that's part of growing up. And then we become like a scientist of life or a seeker, or at least not just a sheep. Um, so there's blind faith, and then there's this longing, or there's this lucid faith. And then the third is like unshakable faith, which is really conviction, where you experience it or you know it for yourself. Like we were joking about your dear late father, Dasarat Raghu, and 
he lived to be a very old age. And um, if you see him in a dream, just like if you saw him in, in Yankee Stadium, you would recognize him immediately. You know, that's like unshakable. You would have faith in your recognition. Nobody, you wouldn't have to ask your brother. You wouldn't have to ask like your date if, if that's really your father. So we get to the place of conviction where we really recognize we can discern, discriminate the real from the unreal or the sacred from the mundane or even at the basic level of being a good person and contribute to a better world. What's right and wrong? What's helpful and harmful? What's hopeful and unwholesome? What's conducive to conscious evolution and what's unconducive? That's Buddhist ethics. What's conducive and what's unconducive, not just right or wrong mm. you in, know, in a local sense. There's another faith that we've discussed it's a, in Maui at some of these retreats we do over there with all of our brethren and sisters, uh, intuitive faith. Mm. And my best, I was just thinking of it as you were speaking of the three different uh, uh, types of faith from the Tibetan tradition. Uh, this, I, I would say, like when I first heard Ramdas, those first talks that I was completely turned on, as were many, many people, and eventually ended up in India. There, I would say, and he introduced Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba in those talks as uh, as a completely as a siddha, as a complete a, a non-dual being. That uh, a I realized, a realized saint. A, yeah. yeah, I would say that what drove me to get to India was I had an intuitive faith that that was absolutely 100%. Although I never met him, I did not experience, at the time I thought I did not experience what Ramdas experienced because he was physically with this being. But in reality, I had, and I only knew that once I got there, yeah. that, that that was what that was all about. Uh, you know, whatever I got, which is through, through his, uh, his being in that moment. And but I would say that that's a uh, there's a something there intuitive faith and I do tell people too who talk to me about this kind of stuff that there there is a place that we can access that has that it cannot be uh, um, trivial though it can, it has to be coming there has to be substantial uh, connectivity to various parts of the spiritual path practice being one of them. Well. I have a question kind of related to this in faith, and, and I know that can be a difficult word for a lot of Westerners in particular, and all that goes with it, and surrender, and those things even harder for some people. But right. so my personal experience with Maharaji is, is along those intuitive faith lines that until I really actually started working with Love Serve Remember and met Uragu and went to and really experienced it in waking life, the funny, this is what clicked to me years late. This is two years ago, it clicked for me. The first time I ever did psychedelics, I did LSD in Boston when I was at a, a, a program, a music program there. I was very, I never took these things as, as recreation. I was always very interested in learning um, what are the practical implications, what is this? It's been described in so many ways. So I'd read a lot about it. And one story, I always I read about this guy Richard Alpert who went to the uh, the you know the Himalayas and met this enlightened <clears throat> being. Didn't know Maharaj's name. Didn't didn't remember this at all. But every single time 
from that point on, I read about it, that I took any type of psychedelic, I would find myself telling that story to everyone who was around me. Didn't know who it was. I was, I was just like, okay, I would tell the story literally every single time. Novices, people I've taken with before, this story would just come out of me. <laughs> then I remember being at Omega Institute. This is probably like six or seven years ago. And I had had a very transcendent kind of overwhelming experience that took me several months to come down from. And I was at Omega Institute kind of getting rebalanced. And I remember going into the library and it's the Ramdas library. And there's the statue of Maharaji. And I was walking up the stairs and I just, and this has never happened to me before. I stopped and looked right at it. I'm like, I'm, this is like, I know who this is. I don't know why. I don't really understand it, but I know who this is. I continued up the stairs. There's all these photos of all these like Ramakrishna, Ramana Maharshi. And I'm just staring at these photos, just kind of not knowing what's going on. So Thanks. forget about, I forgot all about that. Start working with Love, Serve, Remember. And then even when I first started working with Love, Serve, Remember, I didn't, I got it. I always had an inclination towards something. But then when I went to that first retreat on Maui, it all just, it, it just aligned in the most insane way, which to me, I didn't have faith, conscious faith before that anything was happening, but it kind of like lined up and I was like, oh, there had been some element of faith, like a thread mm. that had been strung mm. throughout my entire life that kind of like came into focus, which I view, which is solidified. I mean, you talk about conviction. I now have like, you know, ultimate conviction, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what happened. It's unshakable faith. And it was solidified by these different aspects of things kind of lining up in time. So I view that kind of as an extension of faith, but I've always, you know, it's always been mind blowing to me because it just makes a lot of sense now. And I didn't know why I was doing these things before. So, yeah. Well, faith, faith is grace and it's hard to fabricate. It's a graceful thing and we're grateful for it it's yeah. just a mystery and it doesn't all come to everybody the same there are different personal there are different spiritual personality types if you want to analyze it that way but you know like the jnani and the bhakti the philosopher the awareness discriminating awareness type on one hand like the meditator or krishnamurti or joe goldstein would be good examples or the bhakti the devotional type the lover, in a way, the Rumi, the Krishna Das, etc. And of course, there might be other types, the yogic type, which are more physical and energetic. But those are some of the main types, you know, the contemplative type, who likes to meditate a lot and pray. But um, we all have elements in us, but I think there's some that predominate. So <clears throat> I myself, and I, I'm speaking personally because I believe this is the way to talk. You know, I could lecture about and I could talk in third person also, but it's <laughs> silly. But, you know, excuse the eye in this, but just as an example of how the path gets walked today, not just over in India or in ancient times in Judea or in Tibet or somewhere, you know, wherever Rumi was, uh, Eastern Turkey, Bactria, uh, whatever. I... I was a very um, athletic young guy, but quite intellectual in college and in India when I was first there in 71 in the 70s. And if it wasn't for Maharaji opening my heart, I might have been a much more dry, perhaps rigorous, I don't know, um, intellectual, psychological, a Buddhist meditation philosopher. But Maharaji 
against all my protests and protestations, which were many, jumped into my heart like a mo the monkey that he is, the monkey god that he is, and pulled the doors, the shutters closed after him. I don't mean closed my heart. I mean, like, there was no rooting him out after that. I tried. <laughs> I didn't want to be a Hindu. I didn't have any, I don't have no truck with the caste system. Not to mention gurus, yeah, right. et cetera. Right. Even Buddhism might be too much for me. But, you know, I, I want to meditate and wake up and get enlightened and get wisdom. Buddhism talks a lot about wisdom. But, you know, the compassion, the loving kindness, all that's there. But Maharaji, the heart, the soulfulness, the juice, he got in the other side of my brain, you know, all at once. I was in love, not just with him, but with everybody. And I'm not exaggerating. And it was scary. Also, I was 21. That wasn't what I bargained for. I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to surrender my, my armor and my trip and my act and whatever. Pride, intellectual superiority. I don't know what I had to be proud of, but there it was, you know. Can you, can you talk about the first time you met him or your first experience? Now, you got to tell the story you, you told uh, in the new book, Love Everyone, coming out in November on Harper One. <laughs> a little bit of a commercial here, guys. Um, yes, but, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Yes. You, but but um, this, if it's the story that I told, did I tell the story of my first meeting with him? Yes, where you walked into Dada's house and yeah. you sat. Uh, he was not there, but you first sat right. it. So to make a long story short, just to get to the point, also, I don't like people to think like Surya Das and Raghu and Josh met Maharaji in one way or another, but I can't or I can't go to India or those saints are gone. That would be counterproductive. The message is that if it ain't here, it's nowhere. Mm. And since it is here, it's everywhere. And uh, I don't even want to put a name on it. Your God story exemplifies it. This story exemplifies what you just said. So I had come from meditating a few 10-day mindfulness insight retreats, silent, intensive, spick and span, enlightenment, you know, what's called Pike's Peak or bust, like enlightenment or bust retreats with Goenkaji <laughs> in, in, in Bodh Gaya, where Buddha sat under the tree, and train, bus, schlepping, schlopping, flopping, and dropping, finally, to find Maharaji, where I heard he was in his disciple, Dada Mukherjee's house, our beloved Professor Dada, who was Maharaji's translator and great disciple and devotee, and his whole family. And I came there on a rickshaw with a little guy peddling, me and my buddy, I think it was Chaitanya, Bill Samways from Somerville, Mass, Boston. Anyway, and I came in the door in the satsang, the spiritual brethren and sisterin that I had known from Bodh Gaya and from the summer before in the Himalayas and Kashmir, Krishna, Mira Bush and others. They were chanting, they were sitting on the floor chanting, singing kirtan like Krishna Das does so much in the world today, well known for. It was a little more obscure in those days. But Maharaji wasn't there. There was his seat, his tucket, his like little bed platform he sat on. There were flowers on it. There was his picture. There was an altar. But the satsang, the fellowship, the, the folks were sitting on the floor in a, a ragged circle. Let's not exaggerate. There was nothing 
ragged about this chanting and singing and a little schmoozing probably too and i sat down and and we just felt so warm and welcome it fell right into it not like i wanted to i wanted to like sit and do buddhist meditation probably <laughs> my small minded you know way <laughs> of knowing what's good and what isn't i was going to do what i wanted to do but it took over and it was happening and krishna bush who i had been trekking in the himalayas with, you know, just the month before, was a dear friend, Mirabai, was leading the chanting. And my heart just so open. I just felt like Maharaji, right? I just met Maharaji right then in the satsang and in the kirtan. And in the, if I said surrender, it would sound willful. Mm. I had no intention to surrender. In fact, I hadn't even heard about it. I just, <laughs> just meditated. We knew about letting go, but it wasn't, you didn't let go to the the empty bed with the Hindu guru. <laughs> no. You let go of your attachments. You let go of the momentary dream-like arisings in your mind. That's what you let go of. He totally took over. I just, my heart, I, I don't know what happened. I stopped thinking about where's Maharaji and when am I going to see him and how hard it was to travel all the way there, or where we were going to sleep that night or anything. If I said my mind went blank, that would be an exaggeration. Like there was no mind. It was all his heart. It was all heart. And that was my first darshan of Maharaji. No, wait. So, yeah. I'm so, not... when people t like you, Josh, you said you and Maharaji. Noah. No, Noah. Noah. Noah, sorry. I was when... wondering who Josh was there. I, I keep trying to look. Josh. Where's Josh? I don't see him here. But wait, wait, Surya, I'm going to. No, I'll, I'll finish the story. Okay. I'm just saying, as an aside, all right, into this. when people who haven't met Maharaji in the forum tell me, how he's in their life and how devoted they are and what he makes them. I am so touched because, you know, I, I know they met the big Maharaji, not the Indian mm. man who died in 1973 on the full moon mm. in the train station at Mathura, not far from the Taj Mahal. So my heart was open. I stopped thinking and worrying about it. So then eventually probably the chance stopped or whatever chanting went on. Somebody can't... I was a new arrival. Somebody tiptoed over, you know, bare feet, flowing Indian clothes. I'm sure vegetarianism tiptoed over <laughs> and touched me and said, you know, come and, you know, who knows what they said. See Maharaji, meet Maharaji. Maharaji wants to see you. Have darshan with Maharaji. I understood something. Go. <laughs> Go and see Maharaji. He's, he's not in this room, but he's over there. Remember, I had already forgotten about Maharaji because I was with Maharaji. Right? <laughs> I sort of forgotten, didn't you know? Mm -hmm. So I went with him and we went in Maharaji's little room. He was sitting on a tucket. Maybe it was his bed. There was almost nothing else in the room. It was like a guest room with nothing in it in Dada's house. Probably Maharaji always stayed there. I don't know. I didn't do that much research into the Maharaji situation. <laughs> it was totally happening the other side of my bra mind, brain, which was fine with me, although I resisted it other times. And Maharaji was sitting there and he was flopping around as usual from one elbow to another, like a monkey or something. And um, Dada was standing up and translating and waving the towel to f keep the flies off Maharaji's head. Dada was a professor of economics. He was no slouch, but I'm giving you the funny picture. He was standing there in his Indian clothes and in his little vest. And 
waving the towel to keep the flies off Maharaji. And um, he translated. And Maharaji gave me a banana as prasad, as like blessed sacramental food and blessing. This is my first meeting. And uh, of course, everybody came to Maharaji. They knew like you come there to get, I don't know, blessing, darshan, divine vision, a name. <laughs> Let's not forget the name. We're materialists, many of us. A name, a spiritual name, a Maharaji name, you know, a divine name, a God's name. He gave me a banana. Banana is like the only food that I hate. <laughs> this is like the opposite of Ramdas's stories about how Maharaji was so psychic. But it's exactly <laughs> the same. He gave me the only food, one that I ate, specially picked for me, no doubt. Exaggerate. Anyway, it was the monkey food. But, and he said, take the name of Jesus. In Hindi, is this part of my story, Raghu? He said, take the name Yeshu. No, this, I mean, yes, but I just don't remember this part. Through the translator. He God did. Take Maharaji the name. said, take the name of Yeshu. Hindi for Jesus. Wow. So I was like awestruck, you know, everything from what the hey to, on the other hand, well, I guess he recognizes me. It's not just my mother that thinks I'm the second coming. <laughs> <laughs> a Jewish mother. She'd roll over in a grave if she knew I was being named Jesus, but recognized that I'm the, her son's the second coming. <laughs> like that. So I staggered out of the room after, you know, a few more pleasantries and bops on the head and, you know, with my banana and my quote, important particular quotes, new name, Yeshu. In parentheses, Jesus. Right. You're Jewish. Dada gently and politely and kindly ushered me out, you know, grandfather Dada and me, 21-year-old New York college graduate boy. And I saw some of my sangha mates, satsang friends, and I gave them the banana. They said, what, Maharaj, you gave me banana? Oh, you want it? It's such a blessing. I said, no, I hate bananas. So they all, I'll exaggerate, they fought over the banana. <laughs> so they divided it up and had pieces. Everybody got a little piece. I swear I didn't even want to taste it. I didn't have any. That's how I was. And, and then one of my closest friends must have said, what, what did Maharaji say? Anything else? And I said, he, said, he gave me the name of Jesus. And my friend said, what? <laughs> did he name you Jesus Das or what? <laughs> das means servant or disciple. So I said, no. He said, take the name of, of Yeshu. And then my friend who had been there a few months longer said, oh, that means recite Jesus's name. Yeah. Use it as japa, like Ram, Ram, Ram. Say the holy name. That's how they say it in Indian English. Take the name of Ram. Recite ah. the name of Ram. That's what Maharaji's mantra was, Ram, Ram, Ram. So that was my first meeting with Maharaji. But the point being that I really met big Maharaji, had his darshan in this, with the satsang and the kirtan. Yeah, in the living room before I was brought into the room and saw, quote, the man. Yeah, which I mean, I think... Which honestly, you called, just to interrupt for a sec, because yeah. here's the beauty, which in the book you called that meeting of that physical being the little Maharaji, <laughs> whereas yeah, the big Maharaji was who you met, and it's the big Maharaji that we are ultimately 
ultimately, ultimately talking about. Yeah. Um, not and that he wasn't fun to hang like, with. <laughs> yeah. The big Maharaji, you know, the true guru principle never dies. Yeah. People come and go, even the greatest saints or most powerful or pure enlightened people come and go. But the, the that never dies. So that's a big Maharaji or whatever archetype you right. to or worship. Right. I, and I think that's something, I mean, just from going to the retreats and, and even my wife who, who hasn't had that aha moment really yet with Maharaji, I, I think one of the things that people get tripped up on, um, this is also related to Jesus, is not, they think that it has to be a physical interaction. They hear the stories of people who have been around Maharaji and people like Maharaji and the way they speak about it and they, they long for that. But there is a big Maharaji. There is, there are these archetypes that exist and permeate and are omnipresent that you can have just as meaningful as a relationship with. Um, and I know that can be kind of like a, a woo-woo concept for some people, but it exists. It's, it's absolutely a thing. I mean, that story is amazing and highlights it specifically and quickly in a condensed time frame. But I mean, it's definitely, it's true. I don't, I don't think it's woo-woo. It depends on how you tell it and how you hear it. Yeah. So if you're going to talk about Jesus and Christianity, just to point out that it's not woo-woo and it's also not that hard to understand, even from mm. a Christian point of view, there's the small Jesus and there's the big Jesus in the same right. way. There's the small Jesus and then there's the Christos, the light, the the true manifestation of God, which we could say is in everyone. But, um, you know, that's why even Jesus himself said, the doubting Thomas who felt like he had to poke his finger in Jesus' wound to see if it was really Jesus. What did Jesus say? We all know this, but we don't know our own traditions. The very Christians that'll tell you that's woo-woo could, if they think about their own tradition, understand themselves. Jesus said, Thomas, you have, blessed are you for you have touched the Christ, but, but you were a doubter, but blessed are you for you have touched more, far more blessed are those who have not touched and yet believed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not about blind faith. It just means there's so many levels of what it means to be touched and moved. And it doesn't just have to be by a physical body or a physical relic or material measurable proof, scientific mm-hmm. proof. And, well, and just let me interject that uh, who we're talking about where Lama Surya Das met uh, Neem Karoli Baba was at Dada Mukherjee's house, who was a mentor of ours. And in fact, if you want to find out more about uh, Maharaji, the, in my mind, the best books are, he has two books, By mm. His Grace and The Near and the Dear. You can go up to ramdas.org to the store and you can find them. Uh, but he came to America a couple of times uh, back in the, in the 80s. And uh, I'll never forget him saying, and this man... And when you read these books, you'll, you'll see, I mean, yeah. beyond omniscience, I mean, Maharaji, many of the s- stories that you'll hear from the Western, Westerners are about his omniscience, his power to know past, present, and future lifetimes, uh, what was going on with you, and your mind was completely broken apart. So that was, that was, the, that was the big deal with us. But with... Uh, and in some cases with us, but mostly with other people that were more advanced, and not to to quantify any of this, but Dada had a miracle done on him by Maharaji that was beyond any anything you could ever imagine, 
and it, you can read about it in the book. I won't get into it now. But when he came, it was a spectacular thing, just out of the Bible. It was that kind of a thing. And he came to America, and he said, you know, I've seen incredible miracles performed by Maharaji on me and other people. But coming to the West, I've seen the greatest miracle. And that's that I meet all these people who never met that being in a body who have no different relationship to him than I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's beyond. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget him saying that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Mm. And he's so humble also. What a joke. He's a true gentleman of the old school in the best sense. And I'm not talking about the caste system or aristocracy. A gentle, beautiful being. A real mensch. Yeah. He would so, go, you'd go to his house. He'd say, so you've come to your house. To, and he meant it. Yeah. Take your food. There was no, it was us. There was only an us with him. And with most, not most, but many beings, uh, holy beings in India, you would go to their ashrams or their places where you could meet with them. And there was such intense segregation mm -hmm. and such uh, possessiveness by the close devotees. This was the exact opposite. Dada did the opposite. How could he get us more time with Maharaji? How could he get us more food? What, you know, there was that kind of a thing. So we were, we were blessed, sir. And by the way, you're I didn't know this story that Maharaji told you to repeat Jesus, right? Yes, he told me to take the, just remember, he told me to take the name of Jesus. Take the name. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so just remember who I am, Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> I never forget you know, it for a, a true minute. Anjou, I never knew what was going on in those days. I just <laughs> went around and wanted to meditate. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. But I want to tell you, this is a further bonding thing for us, because the first thing I asked yeah. Maharaji was, God, you give me a mantra or something. How do I meditate? Yeah. What are, you know, talk about knowing from nothing. And what did he tell me? It's the famous story that Krishnadas tells in his concerts from here to forever. Sorry about that, guys. Doggies. <laughs> and that is, he said, meditate like Christ. When he was nailed to the cross, he was lost in love with every being, every sentient being. So here we... That's unbelievable. Yeah. And, 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 of course, one thought that occurred to me was, well, I had no thoughts at that point. It was yeah. the thought I had when he said to wear the cross. <laughs> you wear his cross? I go, cross? I'm like Jewish. Yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, he was always blowing our mind, and yeah. he was a real, you know, iconoclast, like the authentic masters often are. Mm. Mm. Oh, um, now, let, me, I, let me just say, yeah. just think, think about Maharaji's incredible... I don't know. It's, it sounds so dry to use a, a word like ecumenicism or universality. But, you know, talking about he turned me on to Jesus and many of us. And he was always telling us to serve all the saints. And, and he didn't just want to stay his ashram or in his sect or even in his Hindu religion. And that, think about it in terms of the incredible problems we have today with sectarianism, fundamentalism, mm. extreme views and dogma. Not to and prejudice and intolerance, not to mention violence and terrorism, but just prejudice and intolerance based on sectarianism. He was so universal, it was totally mind blowing. And he always said sub act, all one. And that yeah. was like one of his main teachings, and we all repeat it, we never forget it. And we're always kind of pondering it in a way. How does it apply here? And Maharaji would say sub all one to this. Why am I seeing it is lesser and more and, and, and superior or, or better and worse. Of course, there's a time for discriminating, but we have to remember there's also a time 
experiencing the oneness in the diversity. Most of us yeah. lose touch with that time, that opportunity. I My favorite kind of barometer and saying that I use is there's, there's many paths up the mountain, but the view is the same at the top. Uh, and it's something that that's what I kind of use as my internal signal whenever I'm parsing some new material or a new teacher or a new thought stream is if it is not exclusionary, if it's all kind of pointing to the same place and it really is all the same thing, whether it's Jesus, Ramakrishna, Maharaji, whoever it is, if it's all kind of pointing at that same thing, maybe different, a little permutation and the path's a little different, that's something that you can really, you can, you can delve into that stuff confidently. Um, and it is, it's, it couldn't be more true. I mean, that's what I found. The more you get into this stuff though, there's so many intricacies and different things, you know, from Tibetan Buddhism to Bhakti path to whatever it is, they, they, they have these core truths that underpin them and are the same exact thing, which is very cool. Yes. A wise person said truths are many, but truth is one. Mm. Mm. And I could talk, I'd love to talk and hear about the saints and the religious traditions forever. Um, no, I wonder, you know, somebody in the younger generations, what you and your, your comrades and cronies are really interested in today. You know, besides this, it seems like the younger people tell me they're not that interested in religion, maybe in spirituality, maybe not, maybe yeah. secular, maybe science. Um, you know, they tell me they're not interested in experts and gurus and tall yeah. white men, you know, men with big foreheads. So <laughs> any questions or any thoughts how, how we could serve that need today? Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm noticing now, um, and I try not to use myself as a barometer because I do kind of navigate, you know, get pushed to the spiritual stuff. And I know that not everyone is into that. What I'm seeing is kind of these independent kind of areas start to kind of merge and cross-pollinate. So I see a lot of interest in entheogens, people call them plant medicine, psychedelics. Yeah. Um, but I think there's not a lot of awareness of what those are or what they can be used for. It's kind of just like an entry point. The same thing that Rambas experienced right, the sacred, right before. Sac the sacred sacramental sacramental side. That's one thing I'm noticing. People, I was just having a conversation about this with someone, um, Michael Donovan, who Raghu and David were just on his podcast. I just met with him earlier. We were talking about these different areas. Um, technology, right, um, seems to be another place that people are very interested in kind of changing the, the current paradigms of society. I think younger people, my age and younger, are now very, very hyper aware that kind of the systems we have set up in Western culture are broken or have been broken for a substantial period of time. And there is going to need to be some type of, um, you know, reorganization in some sense. Um, I see it kind of coming from a lot of different places. You know, interestingly enough, in Duncan, Duncan Trussell, who, who has been, you know, an integral part of getting MPN, the genesis of it, humor comedy. There seems to be a lot of truth coming out of the kind of comedy realm. Um, we have a friend, Dustin, who runs Feral Audio, and there's a lot of truth coming from there because I think one of the things that humor kind of allows us to do is look at difficult things in a non-judgy kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, averse type of way. So the between- jester and all that has the permission. Yeah, exactly. And you can really examine things because, you know, it, I think between technology, kind of this new wave of psychedelic stuff, I, I'm, 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 I don't want to use that word because it feels like something different. Um, and then the, the comedy and arts and music, I think 
that makes perfect sense to me. The arts and the music and the, the, the creativity things, these things I feel like come from whatever. If it's young, it's going to be the unconscious. If it's some you know other world or somewhere, that stream is very much connected to these ideas of compassion, generosity. Um, and then I just think underlying all this is this this sangha, this satsang. People really want to be connected to something um, that is not just themselves, but bigger than themselves. Really feel like they're enacting change on the world. So that's kind of a general way. But um, between those kind of disparate groups, they're kind of merging. And that's kind of what we're trying to harness with MindPod Network, too, is, is really kind of get this cross-pollination between people. Because I think there's so much to offer from these Eastern philosophies that are directly related and completely practical for people my age, younger people, to, you know, I think it's it's right on point. And yes, yeah, some of the terms may not be accessible, like guru, surrender, faith, but what those things are actually pointing to and about, they're just as important as ever, if not more important. Um, so those yeah. are kind of the areas. And we're going to be trying to flesh this out over the next, you know, in the coming months and everything, because that's you know, and uh, you're yeah. Surya Das, Lama Surya Das is a uh, an excellent representation of what we are about. Heart wisdom mm -hmm. at MindPod Network. Not to do any more commercials here, but <laughs> but but Lama has uh, done a tremendous amount of practice and studying, and at the same time, he has this huge heart. And when he says when he was with Maharaji, the, the big thing was how much in love he, with everybody else he was, which everyone will tell you. And, and from that point to now, which is many decades, I mean, there's times when we haven't seen each other in, in years. And then we'll meet up at His Holiness or something at, at one of the teachings. And wow, you know, it's just we're in that moment. It's the same moment. That moment, it just exists uh, as a continuum. It's, it's infinity. It represents what it is that we were were given, and that and this is what we're sharing. So, this is a perfect opportunity, uh, Lama G. <laughs> <laughs> but Lama, now we would love to have from you a little bit of a chant and a small meditation. Uh, short meditation would be great. About how much time do we have yeah. in here, in the timeless, in this pocket of the timeless? <laughs> You know, we'd like to see, because people, minutes. we recommend to people, just start with five minutes. Okay. Get yourself to be able to do a five-minute meditation. Start there. Because i just like to comment personally, to, following on what was just said, that although people struggle with technology and some think it's a boogaboo and it's an interruption, it's a distraction, here we are using it right. for the purposes that prayer and healing and edu edu higher, true higher education, good things, community making has always been used, the values that we all believed in and mentioned. So I don't think we need to be too all or nothing about anything. And technology is, you know, a good tool, but mm. a master. So my challenge I throw out to you and you younger generations, how we can inform the social media, for example, with spiritual media, how we can bring forth the haiku, and the one-liner wisdoms and pithy instructions in the 140-character tweet and so forth and awaken 
uh, a spiritual renaissance, a weevolution, how we can move meditation, meditation, meditation to weeditation. Because we is the new I in this shrinking, inter increasingly interconnected world. And so here we are using the technology, and now I'm going to chant an ancient, timeless Tibetan prayer and invocation and blessing and, and entrance into a little lightly guided weeditation. <laughs> Buckle up. May the Buddha's blessings ever awaken and illumine our minds. May the enlightened one's blessing and inspiration ever unfold and blossom in our good hearts. May the inconceivable blessing of awakening itself, enlightenment itself, dispel the momentary illusion we've ever been separate, incomplete, or apart. Homage to the Buddha, the divine, the light in your seat. Don't overlook it. And rest at home and at ease in that. Co-meditating together, intermeditating, convergitating, communicating, rebutating, reputation, reputation, just sitting, just breathing, just awareful, awareing, aware is a verb. How sweet it is, sweet Iran. Enjoy the joy of natural meditation.
just sitting, just breathing, just being aware, mindful, rather than mindlessly sleepwalking through life, just sitting, natural body. Second, just breathing, natural breath and energy, let it go, let it flow. Third, just being present, awakeful, aware. Aware of this breath, this breath as if only breath. Breathing in, I'm aware, breathing out, I'm aware of it. This moment, as if only moment. Imho, miraculous. Now this awareness is the true Buddha within. Enjoy the joy of natural meditation. Janja Samcha Krimpoche Make Panang Yeguchi Gebanyampa Mepayan Kane Kandu Bawasho With the seed of awakening and oneness has not yet been planted, may it be planted, may it be watered. the seed of enlightenment has already sprung up, may bloom and blossom, may blaze up and illumine and warm and feed and heal the entire universe. And may we all together complete the spiritual journey. This is one of the Dalai Lama's favorite mm. from the ancient peacemaker, the Master Shantideva. Mm. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Apologize for my dog. The dog gets right into it. We love it. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. We're all about dog. cats. Eh? Dog. <laughs> I know it's all one, but dogs, <laughs> two thumbs up. Uh, well, thank you so much for yes. uh, coming and Joining us at MindPod Network, Lama Surya Das, it's, uh, it's been a, a beautiful uh, hour that we've just spent and, and so happy to be able to share you with all of the peeps that have been 
all of our community that's been developing around the website and lots of great things uh, uh, to come in the future. And, uh, and uh, this is a, a, a blessing for us, and it's a blessing for me because it means I, got, I get to see your face more than I have been. And uh, and uh, Lama is also going to join us uh, with uh, Ram Das and Krishna Das as uh, soon as we can get that arranged. Uh, and uh, Noah, thanks. Uh, Noah is, uh, of course, part very important cog with MindPod Network, and uh, so we really uh, have to send you some appreciation too for everything that uh, that you've done to help get this thing launched. And uh, uh, we will, um, you can go to mindpodnetwork.com and you can find, well, you'll be finding Lama Surya Das very soon. And at the same time, you can get Ram Das here and now, Mind Rolling with myself and David Silver, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg. We like to call it our, uh, this cabal is, uh, as our <laughs> listeners have termed it, our low-hanging fruit friends. <laughs> you just go out and get the low-hanging fruit. Of course. We just happen I to I thought be... it was a family. I didn't know we were called fruits, nuts, and flakes. Yes, no, it's fruit. We're fruit. This really cuts down my inflated sense of being like Yeshu. <laughs> <laughs> Lama Yeshu. That's what we're going to call this. you. And <laughs> nice to meet you, young Buddha. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Absolutely a pleasure meeting you. I'm thrilled that you're going to be a part of this. And just going back to what you were saying, too, about, you know, trying to use technology. I mean, that is the goal of MPN, where we're really trying to make this. We recognize there's a lot of stuff on the web that isn't really meant to help people. It's just kind of stuff that's out there, um, temporal, you know, superficial. And we're really trying to build up a uh, a place where people can engage and really have this stuff help them um, and just be useful. So the, but, I'm but thrilled you're going to be a part of this. Girls want to have fun too here. So <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> fun is important. We need fundraisers. There's way baby when we need them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. All right, love you all, and we'll uh, look to look love as everybody. Thanks for your support. Continue to do it, and we will see you next time around. Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste. Namaste.